Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Adam Scott from the Great Scott Podcast. And today on my episode, I've got a great friend and colleague joining me, Sheldon Bro, managing partner of Gemba Finance and CEO founder of Pocket Finance. Worked for years in the banks before going out on his own. Once quoted as saying, I would give you the same advice I would give my grandmother. And I love my grandmother. Sheldon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Adam. Also known as Grammy or Graham Graham. <laughs> right. Yes, that's true. Her street name. Funny, funny thing about your name, and I didn't know this for quite a few years. It's actually for those of, uh, those of you who are listening, his name is spelled B-R-O-W, and I always pronounced him Sheldon Brow all the time. And you didn't know that until one day I introduced you. <laughs> yes, like, many people do. And, you know, it looks like brow, but you know, if you say grow, then you know, it looks like bro. And then it actually used to be spelled B-R-E-A-U. And so my family tells me, uh, or one of my family members, and I won't say which one in case it's not a true story, but they, I was told that um, most of my family, because we're fishermen and shipbuilders, uh, we go out and fish really, really young. Most of us never graduated high school. We didn't know how to spell our last name. So it just got written the way it sounded. We didn't keep good records in the village and it just kind of kept changing over time. So, and my initials are also, uh, my middle name is Owen. So my initials are SOB, SOB, which my, which all my teachers growing up, I'm sure would agree with. And my man, I'm just learning this now. That's, awesome. That's why I had to go SOB. self-employed. <laughs> Nobody wanted well, to deal with me. My initials, my initials are AFS. So Adam Frank Scott. I thought you were. I thought you were going to be like Simon or something as a middle name. That would be better. No, no, just Frank. But I come from a very large family, and um, when I was born uh, as a Scott, you can imagine. Uh, what people substituted the A and the F for, AFS, another something, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today, Sheldon. Um, at 7 so a.m. my at, time, by the way. At 7 a.m. your time. Yeah, I yeah. know. Thank you for getting up so early and doing this with me. Yeah, you're a real trooper. You've got commitment. You've got drive. Uh, I know this about you because we've been working – we actually, I met you um, before I was in real estate, and uh, I met you in, back in my radio days. And, I'm trying uh, to remember, how did, how did we meet? I tried to pitch you radio. Yeah. You had that little office up on St. Margaret's Bay Road, and uh, which is actually uh, the Trade Winds, which don't exist anymore, but the Trade Winds uh, real estate uh, office was there. I remember I met you there several times. You were the only one in that office every time I went there, and you weren't even a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah, nobody was nobody was ever in that office. Not like ever. It was just totally completely unused. Yeah. But that's what you're supposed to, you guys are supposed to be on the streets hustling. So that's right. Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah. A huge office space fronting onto St. Margaret's Bay Road, busy road. The lights were always off except for your office back in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I tried to pitch you radio uh, and that was unsuccessful. Uh, if I we were just recall. starting out. We didn't have a big budget at the time. Adam's been there since the beginning of everything. Pocket finance, my mortgage company, all of it. And he's seen me grow into a flourishing entrepreneur. Yes, you're like a beautiful budding flower. 
but do you recall that we actually uh, I convinced my boss at the time to uh, bring you out on the golf tournament at Muscadabit Harbor? Yes, that was awesome. I had such a good time. That was when I really that was I remember that that was the time where I realized because I was trying so hard to drink, but I couldn't, and I was just sleepy, and I was like, I'm so old now. I just want to go up to the barbecue little hut that they have there and lay on the floor of the bathroom and fall asleep. <laughs> I'll tell you what I remember of that day. I remember that day. Um, I remember going Did I to flip my a boss. Card like, or yeah, something? I, we got it. Well, <laughs> I remember going to my boss and I said to my boss, I've got a great client lined up. Uh, I really want to, you know, grease him and uh, get him excited about radio. And uh, I was hoping that I could invite him along with us on our golf tournament that we did every year, which was in June. If you recall, it was late June. And uh, it was smoking hot that day. About I don't very, know. Very hot. It was over thirty degrees. We were in Muscadabit, uh River area, so not 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 close to the shore. We were inland, and it was smoking hot and smoking humid. Uh, you showed up in board shorts and a t-shirt over top of a tank top. <laughs> I can't remember if you were wearing sandals or not. Definitely sandals. I'm the sandals guy. They've been calling me Jesus since high school. I once <laughs> wore my friend's sandals through an entire winter with socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you showed up in that outfit to a golf tournament of like 100 plus people, uh, tons of local businesses, organizations there. It was all about supporting community. It was, it was fantastic representation. And then by the 18th hole, when we were coming up on the 18th hole, you decided it was way too hot. Uh, you had already taken your T-shirt off, so you're in your tank top. By the time we got to the 18th hole, we're teed off, and you took your tank top off, and you were topless all the way down to the uh, down to the uh, the green. Topless? Why does that sound like not the appropriate usage of what I was? I was so so they they used to call me Jesus because of my sandals in high school, and they also used to yeah. call me shirtless Sheldon because in my village and especially in my household with my dad, we just didn't wear shirts. Not a, you're, you're one of those uh, shirtless dads at the dinner table. Is that what he 100%. was? One hundred thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. I knew one of those growing mom. up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew one of those growing up too. Shirtless dad at the dinner table. Yeah. That was very common it, back it's then. It's really it's yeah, the best way sure. to command respect from the household. Make sure that the fear of God when you talk. <laughs> Waltzing up to the dinner table with your big hairy belly hanging out and bumping up against it, watching the little yep. hairs fall into the yep. plate. Yeah. That's how, they, that's how they threaten you to eat <laughs> vegetables, <laughs> you know, or you know, you'll get the belly. All right. Well, I think we're getting a little off topic here. Let's circle back to uh, what you're doing I thought today. we were just getting to the focus of the <laughs> so. podcast. So I'm actually the reject uh, banker in the family. It was most, mostly tradesmen and fishermen. Oh, you branched yeah, out. out of, uh, you followed your dream. You went to the big city. I didn't follow my dream at all. I didn't want to go to the big city. I wanted to stay in the village, but kind of as soon as you graduate from high school and back home, it's kind of an exodus out to just get out of the village and go somewhere and take anything in school. And I took welding and then I worked in hotels and restaurants for a long time. And then just through a long series of events, I accidentally ended up applying at a bank. Uh, did really well in the interview. They hired me on the spot. I was so tired. I I don't. I was up late the night before the interview, and I did a really bad job answering the questions. And I knew that by the end of the interview. Um, but then when he asked me why should we hire you, because they always ask you at the end of the interview, right? Why should we hire you? Uh, and I said, because whatever your targets are, whatever your goals are for your employers, I will make your wildest dreams come true. I promise. He left the office. Awkwardly, me sitting there, didn't even respond to anything when I said that, and came back and made me the offer on the spot. And then I came into the big banks, 
uh, saw a very interesting space that needed somebody that had a big heart. And I've, and I've always felt like I, I wanted to bring a fisherman's heart into finance and help make the industry a little safer for our kids for when we pass on. Well, and, it's, and I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because one of the key things I remember from one of our first conversations back in my radio days there was your approach to finance and how you put the client first, the product second, product's always second. If there was a product, you would be the product. You would be the product and what you were selling was your willingness and your ability to work with your clients and put their needs first. You took a very different approach, I think, than probably many other people in the industry might take uh, in, with business like that. I don't know. I hope, feel free to I, hope, I hope so. I mean, I, I think it's a brand that we all that we all tote in the in the financial industry is that we do the right thing. But sometimes you can only be as good as what you're trained. Like for the longest time, um, I didn't know the difference between you know creditor insurance and personal insurance because that's all the bank taught you was what they sold. And, you know, creditor insurance is like buying a sandwich inside the airport. So to an extent, you can only be as good as what you know for, for a period of time. But I really went out, did a lot of independent study, and I'm in finance for all the right reasons. I, I don't enjoy the industry as like, I think it's like my passion. Uh, it's my passion mm -hmm. to, to make it something that's warmer, more welcoming, more trustworthy. Uh, I don't, and I encourage everyone on my team, don't look at the, you know, what, they, and they all kind of pay similar anyways, but sometimes you can get your little perks by referring a client in a certain direction or they're trying to have, the, you know, all these silly contests and stuff. You got to ignore all the noise. Just pay attention. List, ask the client some intelligent questions to understand the situation because there's no blanket advice that exists in finance. If somebody's coming to, you know, the vast majority of their clients with one strategy, uh, you know, you kind of want to open your eyes a little bit. I, I literally look at every person as my grandmother and uh, my transition to pocket finance actually had like a really sobering experience with, uh, if I could actually quickly share that. Um, yes. So pocket finance was something where I ended up, you know, I left the big banks after about a decade, went out with my business partner who was a, a top performer at the big bank along with me. And I, I had wanted to create this new tool that was going to help uh, protect people. It, it's, its purpose really is to improve collaboration, collaboration between professionals and the clients, uh, between professionals and other professionals like yourself, uh, you know, as a mortgage broker over to a realtor and uh, the lawyers and accountants and financial advisors and everybody that encircles to give advice around a client's financial life and then improving collaboration even between clients and their own finances. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, most of North America is, you know, kind of, not, there's no structure with our, our money and we just kind of freestyle everything and my first job at the bank was in a call center taking like 50 to 80 calls per day people calling in you know for all kinds of things asking complex questions asking ridiculous questions of all kinds of different things calling to reset their their banking password and i remember i had this 93 year old woman that called in and she was calling at the end of the month like many pensioners do to find out if her pension was in yet because they're on a very fixed income. And right. I said, yeah, it's in. And, and when they call in and put their bank card number in, you can see everything about them instantly. When they put in their bank card number and their little three-digit right. it's you can see the day they started banking with you, every product they, they have, like everything. And when I was answering her question about the pension, I was scrolling through with a $33,000 credit card because you're seeing how much is being deposited versus you know that balance. And it just 
She had a thirty-three. Sorry, she had a thirty-three thousand dollar credit card. Thirty-three thousand dollar credit card at eighteen percent. It wasn't one of the low interest yeah. ones. And I just asked her at the end of the call, you know, how long have you had this balance on your card? Because we're programmed at all banks at telephone banking to find something yeah. to offer you on every call. I really stuck out in the bank, sometimes in a bad way to my managers, because when they would come around and they'd go, sales, 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 I'd be like, don't come talk to me about sales. I will not do any sales if you come, rah, rah, about sales. I'm going to treat every client like grandmother. And the finance, you know, they, they say, I guess, like, was drugs, drugs sell themselves. You don't need to sell finance. Everybody needs finance. It sells itself. You just need to intelligently inform people so they have a clue what's going yeah. on with it. They'll choose what they need. But anyways, I, I asked this lady, uh, how long have you been making the minimum payment on this card? Because as long as I'm scrolling back, I'm seeing minimum payments. And she said about and she said about six or seven years. Right, yeah. And every time I say that she said six Jesus. or seven years, I can refeel that sinking in my stomach that I felt of well, what if this was my grandmother who I grew up with, who was my best who was my best friend. Uh, yep. so I'm thinking and I started to kind of ponder off the, after the call, but this does anybody in her family even know she has this debt? If somebody in her family does know that she has this debt, are they even financially literate enough? Because most North Americans are less than 50% financially literate. Average score is 48 across the G7 countries. If anyone knows, do they even know yeah. to tell her that she can just change this to a loan or a line of credit? So thankfully that day, after God knows how long of, you know, how many times she's called into the bank, I was able to send her over to a credit specialist, change it to a loan, drop the interest rate in half because she had a good score. She always made the payments. She had just barely the minimum income to do it. But I couldn't understand how that goes six or seven years when that's really like a grade four, I guess, you know, right. algorithm or formula to if if user has an average balance yeah. of 10000 or more over, let's say, three months or six months or whatever you want to do. And they're making the minimum payment for that entire time, populated notification right. that says, hey, you can change this to a yeah. line of credit and drop the rate in half. And I knew that, you know, after, you know, a few days of pondering that, well, the, the bank's never going to do that because they want you to pay as little as possible. Do you know what they refer to as someone that pays their credit card off every month? This isn't like a jokey term they use at the water cooler. This is the real term they use in like their internal yeah. documents. They refer to you as a deadbeat. Uh, that's the only term I've ever heard. Deadbeat is like deadbeat dad. Um, so like you're the you're like. I, I actually it's it, funny you mentioned that. I got a I got an interesting story too. So um, Wendy, she's uh, she's my, Wendy. my partner. You, you've met Wendy. We forced, met we forced her to play that card Wendy. game. Yeah, you, you met Wendy. Yeah. Okay. I'm right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's right. We did. She loved it too. <laughs> So she's my CFO, my chief family officer. I learned that term from Nick the other day, actually. She's my chief family officer. Um, and so, and she does a pretty good, she does a pretty good job at it. Anyway, so she, I was leaving for work the other day and uh, she's like, yeah, so the bank uh, just offered me another $7,000 on my line of credit. I was like, those banks. <laughs> I said, that's because you're a good customer. <laughs> it's because they take every like, what, opportunity what to business? offer you a unit. That's what business unit. do they have offering us? Yeah, well, I mean, she, she has her own line of credit uh, from a long time ago, and I have my line of credit. So, you know, her line of credit is just under her name, um, you know, and she's, you know, unemployed. I mean, what what business does, uh, does a, a financial institution have lending or increasing somebody's uh, amount that they can borrow 
um, when, you know, they're unemployed. And, and so that, you know, that, that sort of thing drives me crazy. That happens a lot. I'm sure you've seen that quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, I just saw an Instagram with a certain gentleman I won't name that's in Canada who's just, he, he's trying to teach everybody that you should go ahead when you're a student, get as many credit cards and many long credits as possible and then start to borrow from those and like lend out on private lending. And, and mm -hmm. for, you know, for, for certain people, maybe that's a good idea, but this is really being given as like blanket advice so that, you know, they're, they're pre-approving students for a lot because they know that students are going to come out and they're going to, you know, they, they have a lot of promotions. It's crazy that some of the stuff you see get approved. I once saw a lady that made $33,000 a year get a $750 Range Rover payment, of which I strongly recommended she take it back swiftly, and she didn't. And then she ended up having to sell her house over it. So Over a Range Rover? Over being, <laughs> over being given credit that was being no business being, being given credit of that sort to that situation. Yeah. So there's a lot of... Weird stuff, you know, sometimes when people really need it and they have a good situation, they're not getting approved. People that aren't having employment, you know, sometimes are getting credit that extended to them that doesn't always make, you know, a lot of sense to us, you know, sitting out on the outside. And uh, it's, it's, right. it's interesting to watch sometimes because there's, there's all kinds of different personalities of people out there and some of that can, you know, be used well and some of it can go pretty bad. And... And those all-in-one line of credits on your mortgage is a great case, a great uh, example, because it's a it's the best tool for the right people, but for people that don't have great control on revolving credit, um, you're just giving them the ability to owe a bunch of money on their house again. All right, so uh, Sheldon, um, new segment we're trying out here on the show. Tell me something really scary or funny or silly or just um, absolutely ludicrous that you experienced uh, as your time during your time as a, as a mortgage specialist. I've got, I've got quite a few of those stories, but I do have like a favorite one. So one of my colleagues had a family member, we'll just call her George. And George wanted to get uh, this beautiful new home. They already had a house. They hadn't sold the old house. They wanted to buy this new one. And they went in, and I'm going to let you quickly comment to this, Adam, and, and give your quick opinion on it. As a realtor, this person was a realtor, they went into oh. this home purchase with no conditions before <laughs> they had spoken to us as mortgage brokers. Oh, yeah. That's not uncut. I mean, geez, that's weird for a realtor to do these days. <laughs> yeah, so she was gangster. She went in, no conditions, wasn't having any luck with all the places she was dealing. She ended up coming to us. And we ended up getting her conditionally approved, just barely, with a B lender. Okay, so you got A mortgages, B mortgages, C mortgages. A means yeah, everything's clean, no problem. So, so they went in unconditionally, and you and you got her barely approved on a yes. B lender. Yes. However, George, you got however, George. Okay. Two days before closing, we're thinking everything's great. Two days before closing, the lender calls us and said, "We can't do this deal. It looks like she committed fraud." Because she has this document, which is a business mm -hmm. registration, which has information on it that doesn't match her thing. So I'm like, we call the client, of course, and we're like, hey, did you do fraud? Because we should like cancel everything immediately if you did fraud. And she's like, no. She swears black and blue. She didn't do fraud. And I believed her. Yeah. And so I went into Service Ontario with my business partner. I was like, we're going to investigate. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We go into Service Ontario, who was incredibly helpful, not one of those good old not jokes, you know, uh, 
we and, and we're yep. so we're, we explain everything to them, trying to get them to help us. The lady is just saying that standing there in the front of the line saying it's not possible that she could have created this document. So I agree with your lender. She committed fraud. So I'm thinking they're going to tell us no, that whatever everything's good, we'll make we'll give a call, we'll fix it, everything's cool. So, sorry, you, sorry, you're saying you're saying that on, the Ontario government said that it's not possible yeah, that the she document could have that, created that this we document? showed them. They said missing. it's not possible that this document can show yeah. like this. This is fraud, and it's just like a business registration yeah. form. So I was like, I was like, okay, well, I, she's saying she oh. didn't. I really don't think she'd be continuing to push it because she'd be drawing a lot of attention from more people. So like, do you have a supervisor I can talk to? And of course they right. did. She said she'd get one and we waited for a long time. So when are you supposed to call us? They never did. Nobody really was helpful. Thanks a lot, Service Ontario. So that day, every single person conceivable involved was like, it's a dead file, give up, let it go, move on. And I was like, no, this doesn't make sense. Why would she continue to tell me? So everybody's asleep. It's midnight. I go on to the government website and I said, I'm going to go through what she went through. So I, I texted her. She happened to respond where she went. I went into the government website. I, I went down. I screenshotted every single screen that I went through. And when it got to the screen that where you could like type in your business number, where they were saying that you couldn't create that, I wrote... Yep. Ontario service uh, or service Ontario farts. And I wrote that just to make it really obvious that I could do whatever I wanted. And I was able to produce the document with that right. on it, which basically ended up meaning that the document could be created. So I sent all this in first. I sent this really way too right. long winded explanation that they didn't understand fully what was going on. And then I rechopped it into bullet points and they called me one hour before the, like everything was going to be shut down, like the conditional financing being satisfied was like, or the the, the funding was due, right? Uh, and they were going to shut it down. And they called me and said they understood they're going to they're going to proceed. So we got it approved, like they were going to proceed and ready to fund, like within one hour from when things were going to start to pop off. Because yeah. the, this is the thing, it was like like a domino effect. So not only was you know she not going to be able to make the purchase, but the people that were supposed to sell it to her because they were unconditional. We're buying a new home. So there was a very real chance that she was going to get sued. Yep. So yep. one hour oh. before, and it was only because oh, yeah. I was yeah. I wrote something so ridiculous in there that it showed that you could go in and create you write anything you wanted in that supposed field. All she had done was put in an old business number by accident instead of a new one. And they were saying, No, it no, it auto-generates, you can't do it. And I was able to write Ontario uh, okay. Service Ontario Farts in there. Well, that's a pretty clear indication that yeah. you can write whatever you want in there. Now, you know, at the same time, there's more fraud in mortgages than there is in any other uh, industry. And one quick thing I'll make sure I want to point out in this podcast, because a lot of people don't realize this. And I'm not saying this for sales, even though you can definitely reach reach out to, to myself and my team for a mortgage. We'd be happy to do it. Reach out to anybody. If you don't have a mortgage, get a line of credit or some type of lien on your house that's registered. Because there's a lot of fraud that's happening where people are selling houses that people live in. Or putting mortgages on them because there's nothing registered against the yep. house. So just having a line of credit with yep. the lowest interest rate possible for any emergencies is a great thing to have in general. But it's going to protect you against fraud against your, your home. I don't know how it can get so far, quite honestly. But after the story that you've just shared, clearly um, some people 
don't really know what they're the doing. The financial sometimes. industry in Canada <laughs> so. is significantly further behind the rest of the world. We're way behind the U.S. We're way behind Europe. Uh, the open banking, the you know, yeah. the, the, the access to a lot quicker information. So until then, just get a home equity line of credit. Be safe. Well, that was a crazy story, Sheldon. Thank you for sharing that. When you invite me on your new podcast, which, by the way, go ahead, plug it. What's your new podcast? So my podcast is going to be starting. We're recording the first episode next week. It'll be released at the beginning of uh, the first day of March. And it's called Finance Village. And it is for both. It's it's The audience is actually intended to be both consumers and financial professionals because we need to uh, collaborate more with financial professionals and the advice that they have to offer uh, as humans, find someone that you trust and that you think cares. Don't worry about the institution, whether it's Sun Life or Big Bank. I'm a big advocate for independent, truly independent advisors uh, that have their own business, that have credentials behind mm-hmm. their name. Um, but Finance Village is uh, intended to really uh, just talk about, uh, we're going to unbox uh, financial products. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about their features and, and some of their potential downfalls and really just uh, try to get uh, financial professionals on the podcast and dumb concepts down for consumers in a way where it's really, really consumable because there's a lot of jargon and a lot of the simplest things to understand, which is a great lead into, uh, I've got a little quiz for you, Adam, as we transition over to the real estate topic. Okay. Three, go ahead. Three simple multiple choice questions. I love quizzes. So the first category is financial literacy. You're not gonna. So, you're not making this easy for me. All right. Yes. Yeah, so first category is, is financial literacy. Draft? Okay. Twenty-eight, twenty-one, or fourteen percent. The interest rate of overdraft. I'm gonna go with. So that's good that you don't know that. 14. That means you don't use overdraft, or you use it and don't just don't care about the interest rate. But you're wealthy, <laughs> yes. But it's twenty. So it's I passed. Twenty-one. All right. See, I I didn't want to say twenty-eight because that just seemed a little bit too high. And then, and then I was like, ah, 21 is too obvious. It's like right that's in the middle. Why, that's why so I structured like that. So but it yeah, leads no. really well into this next question. What's the interest rate between, a, sorry, what's the difference between a bank account and a line of credit? A, almost nothing. They're basically exactly the same, except the bank accounts come in a monthly fee and super expensive borrowing. Two, a bit different. They're different products. They have a different structure and they have a different purpose. And three, they're completely different. They're not comparable in any way. Well, um so and uh and i and i do find what you have to say very interesting and if i recall you said that the line of credit is not much different than your bank account you can withdraw from it like yes, you would from your regular bank account the same as a line of credit in the vast majority of cases and in institutions it's a seven digit account number you can go into a negative you can keep it as a positive you can pay bills you can do all of exactly the same things and most bank employees that worked in banks and had free banking for a portion of the career and then left the bank knew enough to use lines of credit as bank accounts so that they wouldn't have to pay the monthly fee if you're not at one of those institutions that has a free account because they literally yeah. operate in the same way now some banks are getting up to it and they're kind of trying to restrict people from doing certain things on them but they're exactly the same thing except a line of credit is going to have no monthly fee and a super low interest rate where if you borrow from the bank account, overdraft is super expensive. You get the monthly fee, and then you just transfer <laughs> your money over there at the end of the at, at, once a month, like you like exactly. you want with a credit card. Exactly. Uh, so, so uh, I, I, before you get to the third question, I'll have you know that I do actually use my line of credit to uh, make some payments. <laughs> Sound it, advice. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Anyway. So when you close your credit card that has been open for ten years and you have good behavior on it, is it good or bad for your credit score? Um. I've always been told that no credit is worse than bad credit. 
So yep. <laughs> I don't know if there's any validity to that. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. It's or it's just as bad. It's it's just as bad as bad credit having no credit. Well, yeah, that's as far as thin credit. But let's assume that you have nine cards and you're closing your tenth card. Is that good or bad for your principal? Uh, I think you should. If you have if you have nine cards and you're closing your tenth, that should be good, isn't it? This is what I believe growing up, uh, and what most people I think believe. But actually. Um, because you're closing a card that you've had for a long time, there's a lot of nuance to it. Uh, one of the more obvious ones is utilization. So if you owe $1,000 across all your cards, but across all your cards, yeah. let's say just for simplicity's sake, you've got a $10,000 of limits total, then your credit utilization, 1,000 versus 10, is 10%. But if you shut down one of those cards and it's $1,000, now you've got a higher credit utilization. So it, it, it's in most cases, it's going to hurt your scores. Gives you utilization percentage that they judge you on. I think that a lot oh, of the yes. formulas the credits the credit bureaus use are have opportunity. We'll say to be nice. Um, <laughs> so next topic, are you ready? We're transitioning. That was three questions. What we're on to? It's four. It's a surprise question, bonus you got, question. You got, okay. You just Let's got go. one question in each one of these categories. Oh, okay. Next All one right. is fast food. Yeah. Fast Throw food. Throw random in there. <laughs> So, so I can use the word rando to stay okay. a few times with the 14-year-olds that are listening. Okay. What is the treat? Where Where is the treat of the week and does it still exist? Where's the treat of and the week? And does it still exist? It's McDonald's. Yeah. And you don't know. You have I kids. You haven't recently gotten your kids a treat of the week. You're so rich that you don't need to get free toys from McDonald's. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we have not. So... We moved to Hubbard's, and the closest McDonald's is uh, about 25 minutes away. So it's true. McDonald's you know doesn't happen that much really anymore. Love with their kids. Take their kids to A&W because that's the only good, trustworthy, cheap burger and most delicious, reasonable fast food. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I'm going to go with Harvey's. Yeah, I had Canadian. Harvey's once in my entire life when I was in welding school. I went down with my buddy, and I remember him throwing <laughs> up on the way back from eating his burger. On the sidewalk, and I never went back again. So I don't know. <laughs> never, and I never went back. It's only two dollars and fifty nine cents for a delicious burger with a lot of onions. So, and now last one: real estate yeah. test. This is your game. You got to get this. It's going to make me look real bad for asking oh, yeah. questions you couldn't answer if you brought me on yep. the podcast. What is the difference between a pre qualification and a pre approval? A nothing. They are the same. B a yep. pre qual is. A pre-qualification is information given without proper underwriting and including documents for indication purposes. And pre-approval has supplied documents and has at least had preliminary underwriting at a lender. Or C, a pre-qualification is an approximate number based on four and a half times your income. And a pre-approval takes your exact income, multiplies it by five, and then divides by pi. <laughs> Did you say divided by pi? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. I'm going to go with the one before that. Yes, you're right. A pre-qualification. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are selling pre-approvals as pre-qualifications these days. And there's plenty of realtors there that don't understand it necessarily. And a lot of people, that, even at the big banks that work there, a pre-approval is something that people think that they have often. I've, many times I've had people come to me after they've talked to somebody at a, a, a big bank 
and or even another mortgage advisor sometimes and they've and they've done some quick num run some numbers for them based on the information that they give verbally and they say okay you're pre-approved and sometimes they'll even send them a cute little email but they haven't actually like validated any of that information to be true they've kind of given them some rough numbers and it's it's you know unless you're doing a fantastic job at that which we definitely do uh at uh, at fincense which is my rebranded mortgage company you're going to be sending the client and wasting the real time looking for something that they may or may not qualify for. In your real estate career, Adam, have you ever had someone shopping for a home for a, something that they didn't end up qualifying for in the end? Uh, yep, that's happened a couple of times. So one thing I drill down into my buyer clients is uh, the importance of a pre-qualification. Um, and, uh, you know, for two reasons, like you need to have a solid understanding of what your budget is, Right. And also be confident in submitting an offer around that price point. The other thing too, and um, you know, a lot of buyers don't think about this, is uh, it eliminates a lot of the, it gets a lot of the heavy lifting out of the way uh, up front. You know, you're not, you don't have to worry about going into your conditional period and then having to, on top of figure out all your home inspections, uh, navigate that process, uh, work on your insurance. Uh, review your restrictive covenants on top of all that stuff now you're also doing all the legwork that you could have done months prior and gathering all that information for your mortgage specialist which would be sheldon bro so you know very important for buyers to have that pre-qualification up front uh for those two reasons right there yeah so have the conversations as early as possible it's never too yeah. early to have the conversation and just make sure that who you're dealing with there's i always say there's two things you got to trust in an individual you got to trust their heart and you got to trust their competence yeah if they only have one of those two you might be in a little bit of trouble so make sure judge harshly um who you're going to deal with uh and make sure you get a really good feeling from them they should be able to you know close that trust gap and give you an indication of a high level of competence within you know five minute conversation i think and uh, obviously, you, you know, there's, you know, certain, uh, amount of conversation you want to have some, with someone, but you can generally gauge that pretty quickly. And, and your, your pre-qualification is only going to be as good as the person you're getting it from. And even as a mortgage, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm more the business for now, my, just part of my team, uh, you know, process the actual mortgages, but you want to make sure that you've got a lot of confidence in what they're telling you and you want to be giving them accurate information one of the parts that i have to make sure to ask clients every time i talk to them to make sure i'm giving them good information because you ask somebody about debt and often i don't know if it's you know half the time it's because they don't remember it or half the time it's like well this doesn't really count towards any of this like i have, yeah. to, I have to say tell me about all of the debt you have in the universe and i have to use yeah. that exact language every I time use, i use that expression all the time sheldon yeah yeah because half the time they're like oh yeah oh okay now that you're saying in the universe i have a car loan i'm like of course i need to know the car loan especially with the 800 truck payment yeah you don't qualify for anything anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay yeah so uh thanks very much sheldon uh on to our next topic for uh today which is the real estate hot topic Big question on everybody's mind is it a good time to buy well the answer to that is a little more involved than just saying yes or no but i always like to tell my clients that the good time to buy or the right time to buy is when you're ready to buy there really is no such thing as a good or right time to buy it's when you want to buy it's when you're ready to buy um, and you know having said that especially in today's market 
if you are looking to purchase a house because you want to grow in it, you want to raise a family in it, uh, you're going to be in it for a while, then whatever you're buying your house for right now doesn't really matter. Now, on the flip side of that, if you were looking at your in your purchase as an investment and you're going to flip that within the next 12 months, now that is risky. And I would urge caution and proper planning and strategy on that part. But again, if you're, as most buyers that I work with, if you're looking to purchase a house that you want to move into, that you want to live in, that has more yard space, and you're going to grow in that house, and you're going to start a family in that house, then what you buy your house for right now or, or at any time in the future isn't really going to matter because you're going to be there for 5 to 10, 15, 20 years. You, you don't know. And by that time, it's not going to matter what you paid for your house. Well, I can share some a uh, couple of interesting points, though. And so things to consider when you are purchasing your house right now. If you think that this is the right time for you, interest rates have settled. The sticker shock around the rising interest rates has settled. You have a clearer picture of what you're going to be able to afford because chances are those rates are most likely going to hover around where they are for the next little while. Uh, prediction is that they're eventually going to come down, but we don't really know what that likes. Also, there's no more uncertainty around the interest rates right now. Um, Bank of Canada made that announcement that uh, they're most likely going to plateau, level off for the next little while. Uh, industry professionals, uh, Sheldon, you can comment here, uh, speculate that eventually, maybe in a year or so, we might even see them come down a little bit. Uh, I know on some products from certain lenders or financial institutions, they actually have already started to come down. Um, but for the most part, they're going to remain where they are for the next year. And we have a little bit more inventory right now, too. Uh, so not as, not enough to make it a, a balanced market. I mean, we're still in a seller's market. Uh, but because there was that uncertainty in the market over the past year, it's allowed buyers to have a little more breathing room, which means there's more room for negotiation, which means you're not competing against you know 10 to 15 other buyers for one house um, and allows you to even negotiate uh, conditions. So uh, back to my question or back to the hot topic, you know, is now a good time to buy? Again, only you can decide whether or not it's a good time to buy. But hopefully those points that I shared with you today will help make that decision a little easier for you. And I got just three really quick bullet points on that. Number okay. one, of course, buying a home is a great idea sometimes. So uh, there's no blanket advice. It's, it's always a good time for someone to buy. And it's always not a good time for other people to buy. Um, you know, you can you can joke and say, you know, there's a lot of benefits. You get exercise from on the lawn. You get the you get that extra den room that you can make into a little uh, shrine. Or you could go do your yoga and improve your spiritual health and and everything you else. You get your space. Yeah, exactly. You can have your own space. But there, this yeah. is really what I'll say with the, with what I see with people talking about right now. Um, imagine that you're going to we'll say McDonald's, definitely not Harvey's or anyone except for Harvey's every every week, and you're getting your chicken nuggets and Six ninety nine for ten. Six ninety nine for ten. Six, and now all of a sudden, one week they got a discount that it's only two ninety nine, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is the most cheapest price I've ever paid for chicken nuggets. This is awesome. I'm going to buy as many chicken nuggets as I can." And then the next week, the promotion's over. It goes back up, and you go back to miles. You're like, "Oh my god, I can't. I can't afford these chicken nuggets. This is egregious. I can't believe." The price of chicken nuggets is the same price they were before. This is what's happened with rates, in my opinion. I see what you're doing here. rates, in my opinion. For the vast majority of my first five years in mortgages at the bank, the rates were around what they are now. And they were considered good at yep. that time. 
And then we got like yeah. the rock bottom rates and then everybody's like going crazy and they're bragging about the rates they got. And even if, you know, clients will come to you and they'll say, well, my friend, I know you can get me 4% right now, but my friend has 2%. So I think you should be able to get that. that. And I'm like, well, when did they get the mortgage? Like three years ago, you can do it, right? I'm like, yeah, of course, let's go. I need you to come over, just drop by the garage, help me build the time machine. We'll go back. Then I can definitely get you that rate. But the rates are not egregious. Yeah. Um, most of the time what's happening is people are just always buying their maximum house. And then when the rates are changing, they're not comfortable with that. So I, I don't yeah. recommend that people always do that. Uh, every I don't recommend that people no. never do it. Every situation is different. Get holistic advice. Hopefully, you know, get some get a good mortgage advisor. Talk to a financial advisor. Talk to somebody that cares more, like Adam Scott, uh, and you, you're going to be able to determine what makes sense for you right now, whether it's to buy or not to buy, to max out the purchase or not. And you know, it's it's always a good time to buy for someone. That was a great analogy, Sheldon. The chicken McNugget analogy. I'm going to use that in my ne next house owners. You Hell should. That's, that's seminar. A, <laughs> the chicken that's McNugget analogy. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much, Sheldon, uh, for joining me today. Uh, again, everybody, that's Sheldon Bro, uh, managing partner of Gamba Finance and C CFO founder of Gamba Bond Finance. Finance. Recently rebranded uh, as FinSense, and if you want to check us out. Uh, recently .ca or uh, you can email us at hello at fincense.ca excellent thank you so much again everybody thanks for listening to another episode of the great scott podcast you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify don't forget to follow me on instagram and facebook and also check out my playlist on helipad's youtube channel and thanks again to caring counts for audio production today <laughs>